Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss a film and honor its place amongst its peers. My name is Rowan Wood, and joining me, as always, he's a 10-year-old kid on a street corner flying a red and white and blue kite. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. Now I'm trying to think of the last time I ever flew a kite. It might have been <laughs> when I was 10 years old. It's a long time ago, Rowan. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've ever, like, really flown a kite in the proper way, which is weird because I live on, like, I, I live on the beach, basically, which is the perfect place to throw to, to fly a kite. But I don't know. Maybe it was just one of my thing. Uh, I do sing about flying a kite. Thank you, Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Shane, what movie uh, did we are, are we talking about for the episode? We are talking about 1991's horror thriller, Body Parts. What if you got in a car accident? And you lost a limb, and they replaced it with a serial killer's. This is the exact kind of like B movie premise that I think works perfectly for movies of this of this era, like seventies through nineties. Like this is what horror movies were like defined on, aside from the odd classic, you know, the the odd Friday the Thirteenth yep. and Nightmare on Elm Street. I feel like there were like twenty more, like like twenty times these movies than uh, than those ones. Um, but yeah, this movie is weird. Uh, this movie is not great. Uh, I enjoyed myself for most of this movie. Uh, but Shane, you texted me after finished after you finished watching this. Uh, quite a visceral reaction. Uh, what was that? I was so mad at the end of this movie because here's the thing: for like two acts of this movie, it's a lot of like setup. There's mystery to it, stuff like that. I can guarantee you how much you like this movie is going to be 100% based off of how much you're willing to suspend your disbelief on how this movie plays out. <laughs> because I could not. Because when you figured out what was really going on at the end, I'm just like... I was sitting there watching this with my wife, and I just like, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> like, I thought I misheard something, and I'm like, oh, that can't possibly be true. And then when they reinforced that, what was going on, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so done with this. Bes besides not liking... Well, like the reveal of what was going on and to be honest I feel like a lot of these characters are so written like dumb horror movie characters that it's just like let's make the most irrational decisions to keep this movie going mm -hmm. I thought it had good tension I think it had good atmosphere and I've been a fan of Jeff Fahey if that's how you say his name, since Lost. Because he was in uh, at least, like, three seasons of Lost. Um, second half of Lost. But, like... And this is, and this is based off of a novel that was written by, like, a pretty famous French writer. And I just felt like by the end, I'm like... This completely went out the window for me right. and the enjoyment that I was having. Yeah, I don't know. I I thought this movie was was pretty fun for most of it. Um, it I don't know. It was like it wasn't good. 
at all. But I did like I did enjoy it for what it was. Like it was it was a dumb little like like big B movie uh, mm. with like a, a, an entirely ridiculous premise. And yeah. uh, and like without the budget to really do what it really wanted to do, um, with some like great like supporting performances, Lindsay Duncan mm-hmm. I think is always great. Brad Dorif popped up like I love yeah. love Brad Dorif. Yeah, um, and I like saw, when I saw he was on the cast list, I'm like, oh, oh he's gonna be a ser- he's gonna be the serial killer. Totally, <laughs> it's convinced. Yeah. He wasn't. So. Yeah, type casting at this point, um, but it you know. It, it it does feel a little like it does feel a little silly based on some of the music choices. Like I feel like the the different departments were not really like in coordination on what they wanted this movie to be. Because I feel like some um some people wanted it to be like you know, some people wanted it to be like a sort of like a schlocky uh, B movie that doesn't take itself seriously at all, and some people wanted it to be like a serious horror movie, uh, yep. and and the fact that there was not a lot of it seemed like there was not a lot of discussion about that. I think actually brings it down a little bit, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I also thought there was one scene in this movie. I don't remember what exactly they were talking about, but I wrote down that they are. Like th- they're doing commentary on like humanity by literally lecturing us about like about human and like they're not leaving it up to the imagination. There's no subtlety. They are just no. literally like lecturing us about what they want us to know about what this movie's trying to say. This movie has no subtlety. No, totally. <laughs> first off, well, and I think you bring up an interesting point from and an important point is. There's total problems, because on some level, it feels like it's trying to be a really serious horror film. Mm-hmm. And then on some level, this is just too absurd to be a serious horror film. Right. And I feel like that's what hurt, like, the reveal in the third act of what was really going on, because I'm like, no, this, this is too out there. This is too ridiculous. I guess what I would equate it to, and... I do think this movie's a lot better than Body Parts. Is the James Mangold's The Wolverine? Mm-hmm. Because like for the first two thirds of that movie, I think it is a great film. Like it was a great Wolverine film. And then the third act, they decided to make this dark and gritty movie over the top ridiculous with a giant mech suit samurai <laughs> and this woman who like spits poison at people and stuff like that. I'm just like, you <laughs> see, one of these acts doesn't fit like the others. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's what, and for that, it brings it down to like a B movie for me instead of like an A movie. This. The ending made me so mad <laughs> that I just didn't like the movie anymore. And right. and that's the thing. It's going to depend on how you react to that. Because I just hated like what turned out to be what was going on in this movie. Because I was, not going to lie, I was pretty hooked into like the mystery of like what's going on. But like I feel like some of the things they never explained... Like, they're having these synchronized weird dreams, but why? Right. And I never felt like you got, like, a real answer to 
<laughs> and it's just like some of the things it's just like well I felt like somebody wrote two thirds of this movie and then somebody else had to pick up at the end of it and was like well so <laughs> Right. And let's finish this movie. I totally, totally get that. You know, this movie, the premise, I think, naturally skews comedic. And that's why I think um, uh, a movie, I, I don't know if you've seen it, Shane, that came out in, like, 90, like, 99, like a stoner comedy called Idle Hands, I think did this premise a lot better. It's like the the possessed hand, like trying to cause problems for, for for the protagonist. It works a whole lot better in a comedic setting, and I don't think this movie really understood that and took advantage of that and made it the B no. movie that I think a lot of people wanted it to be. But yeah, I feel like if Sam Raimi made this, it would have been the right right dose of madness, totally ridiculousness. Yeah. But he didn't, so it wasn't. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> so in the end I don't know if I'd recommend this <laughs> yeah you know it is a movie that exists it is an yep. option to watch there are also other options to watch that might be better options to watch yep. um, but Shane where does body parts rank in, uh, in the now 56 films that we have talked about on Rowan and the Wasteland so this is definitely harsh because <laughs> this is my 54th wow it made me really mad, to be honest. Um, will I adjust that at some point? And am I being that harsh right now, a week later after watching this? Because I did this ranking literally right after I watched the movie. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's below the assistance and right above the one. Nice. For me. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it is. Uh, it's not far off. It's number fifty-one. Uh, that is above Shark Tale and below the Wolfman. So uh, similar, you know, similar area. Uh, still not, you know, not really a great movie. Um, anyway, uh, we have three uh, categories to discuss today. They are body horror, uh, R-rated movies, and the year nineteen ninety-one uh, that Body Parts was released. Uh, let's start with body horror. Uh, Shane, your top five. Body parts, literal body horror. Um, <laughs> my number five, and th this movie, I feel like a lot of things, including body horror, is Annihilation. Mm. Um, there's some really disturbing, grotesque things that happen with people's bodies in this movie. There's also downright disturbing things with one freaking bear in it, too. <laughs> but, like, I just love Alex Garland, and that's such a crazy movie. Number four is American Werewolf in London. So, uh, see, this is how you make it funny and dark. <laughs> um, right. But just, like, the werewolf transformations in this movie are second to none in terms of that. Um, the num my number three is The Fly. I'm a huge fan of this Cronenberg film. Uh, and I think Jeff Goldblum's amazing, and his disgusting descent and what he'll become is... Just unnerving. Uh, my number two is also Cronenberg Videodrome. This is one messed up weird movie. And what they do with videotapes in people's bodies, very weird. <laughs> um, but number one had to be the thing. Um, the practical effects in this, this also being my second favorite horror film, is downright miraculous. And just 
like, the crazy things that you see the human body do in this movie, like a stomach, a chest opening up and eating a guy's hands, and somebody's head pulling off its body and walking away like a spider. There's some craziness in this. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen Cronenberg's uh, The Fly, and I think that if I had, that might pop up on my list, but for now it is not. So just a, just a little disclaimer there. Uh, my number five is Slither, a movie, a movie we have yes. talked about on this show before. A lot of like gross, fleshy uh, body transformations happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is uh, Hatching, a movie that came out uh, last year um, with like one of the craziest low-budget, practical body transformations I have ever seen. It's so cool and so well done. Uh, and also, it, it just feels so natural from where it starts like to where it ends. And when you're going from like a creepy bird creature to an exact replica of the main character, it is like... Like, how how do we get there? Well, this is how we did. Yep. Um, and it, it, for some reason, makes perfect sense. Um, Number three is uh, Reanimator, uh, the original with uh, with Jeffrey Combs. A uh, lot of really wacky um, body horror and experimentation happening in this movie. Uh, number two is Hellraiser, um, which just has a lot of. This is more body mutilation than body horror, uh, but I would say it still uh, it still falls under that category. Uh, number one is um, is a movie that I I had on my 2010 watch list back when we did Rubber, uh, but it has since been knocked off, and that is Black Swan. Um, the body horror itself may be all in the main character's head, but who knows? Uh, you know, it's all about, it's all about interpretation, uh, and it's all about, you know, like, it's all about what is real to, uh, the main character, uh, as well as the audience. Uh, and yeah, uh, this kind of came out of nowhere when I was watching it, and it was pretty freaky, and I like that a lot. Well, the most horrifying body horror I've seen in a movie ever is her pulling her cuticle. Yes, uh, I had to look away at that part, actually. <laughs> I couldn't handle it, Rowan. Yeah. So bad. So, so um, bad. That's a great movie, too. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, think about yeah. it that way, but that does really work. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is uh, R-rated movies, uh, which is an interesting category, uh, one that we hadn't done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, Shane, your uh, top five, I don't know if they're in any particular order, but your top five R-rated movies. It's funny because like all of these are my top ten favorite movies because right. I like a yeah, lot of R-rated movies. I'm... Apparently, um, my number five is Inglorious Bastards. Oh, yeah. Boy, does Quentin Tarantino know how to earn R rating? Uh, <laughs> my number four is The Grand Budapest Hotel, which is like the one of the oddest R-rated movies on here. But if you really think about it, people get decapitated and a lot of f-words get thrown around in this movie. But it looks so nice and beautiful. Um, my number three, the most nihilistic movie on this list, is No Country for Old Men. Because, yes, by the end of this movie, you're just like, there's no hope for the world. But what Anton Chigurh does to people in the aftermath, which is what you usually do see, is quite grotesque. Uh, my number two is The Big Lebowski, which is certainly the funniest movie on this list. <laughs> and I just love every single one of these characters and the dude abides. And my number one is Mad Max Fury Road, because it's the greatest action movie I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And boy, are we in a renaissance of action yeah. with Mad Max, Mission Impossible, and John Wick. Totally. <laughs> um, 
So my, uh, I have uh, five of my top seven movies in here because there are two that are PG and PG-13, respectively. Um, my number five is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which came out last year, uh, and I think uses, uh, uses the R rating not in, like, an offensive way, but in, I think, in the right way, um, in terms of, uh, like, violence and language. Uh, number four is Cabin in the Woods. Uh, number three is About Time, which is barely R, honestly, barely. Um, could have easily been PG-13. Is it because they're Irish and say the F word? <laughs> I think it's because they curse all the time. Um, number uh, two is Hot Fuzz, uh, and number one is Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, all of these movies, I do think it's interesting, use the R rating in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and all of them, I think, are very interesting. Uh, anyway, our final category today is the year 1991. Sorry, Shane, I totally cut you off. You had something to say. I was just going to say, it's so weird as you get older, where you're just like, why is that R-rated? And then you watch it, and there's an F-word every five minutes, and you're like, oh, that's why, because you kind of stop thinking about that after a while. Right. Um, But anyway. But anyway. Uh, 1991, Shane, your top five. The year I was born. Oh, very exciting. Which this is this is an interesting list of movies. Um, my number five is The Fisher King. Huge Terry Gilliam fan. Robin Williams is amazing. Jeff Bridges is amazing. Great. Uh, I guess you would say magical realism in some shape or form. Uh, number four is The Silence of the Lambs. And I'll refrain from just doing a Hannibal Lecter impression for five minutes. Um, my number three is Barton Fink, which is one that I think is one of the most underappreciated Coen Brothers films about writer's block and the process of being an artist. And John Turturro and John Goodman are just amazing. Number two is Beauty and the Beast. And this will be forever one of my favorite animated movies of all time. And the first to be nominated for Best Picture, losing to Silence of the Lambs. Just think about that for a second. Um, And number one is T2 Judgment Day, which I will argue with so many people that this is the greatest action sci-fi movie of all time. And there's some heavy hitters like Aliens and The Matrix. So there you go. Yeah. Very, very nice. Um... My number five is Point Break, uh, a great action, uh, homoerotic, I will say, action film from Catherine Bigelow. Um, (laughs) Number four is Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Number three is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, uh, which featured the return of Wrath of Khan director Nicholas Meyer, and who really brought, like, that that special spark that had been missing from the franchise for uh, for number five. Uh, Really, uh, he he, he really brought it back. well, it is an even number, Rowan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, this one, I do think it's interesting how... Um, how. So I watched all of the Star Trek movies for the first time a couple months ago with my roommate, and I, I, was, un, like, I was not prepared because I hadn't seen the original show. I was unprepared for like how like a lot of the movies would be centered around politics and how much I didn't mind that and how I thought it was actually fascinating to see like the, you know, like the behind the curtain of the Federation and the, the Romulans and the, 
um, and the Vulcans and stuff, I just thought that it was so, so interesting, and I never would have expected how mm-hmm. most of these movies are, in fact, not just include politics, but are motivated by politics. Um, not just pew, pew, bang, bang. Right, exactly. That face is just done. Number two is, uh, is T2 Judgment Day, um, just one of the greatest action movies ever made, uh, and one of the best sequels ever made, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number one is The Silence of the Lambs, um, which is just... I, words cannot describe how effective and insanely well done this movie is, uh, and it's been too long since I've seen it, and I should see it again. Um, but so yeah. great, yeah, so so good. Uh, that is 1991, uh, and I will say next week uh, we are going to talk about a very meta fourth wall breaking movie from the year 1941. That is Hell's a Poppin', uh, a movie that I guarantee most people listening have not heard of. Uh, so definitely, it's uh, it's free on YouTube. So check that out before um, before we do an episode on it uh, next week. Uh, but um, for now, uh, thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, Shane, where would you like to send people if they want to hear more from you? Head on on over to the Wasteland Reviewer Instagram page where I shamelessly plug all of my podcasts, Stiff Pop, Scribe Magazine, and the Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel. Very nice. You can find me at TheLenientCritic.com or at Bits of Joel on Twitter or at Ronaboat on Letterboxd if you feel so inclined. I also have another website called Runtime... uh, website. Podcast called Runtime Babe that you should check out. Uh, That is a fun one as well. Um... Yeah, so thank you all very much for listening, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Rowan and the Wasteland. Bye.